0: 29. continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. we only got two more chapters left, two more chapters left. It um, Proverbs was a tough book to get going because I said, didn't know for sure how we were going to teach through it. It's not the typical book. Each chapter kind of stands alone. But now that we're 29 chapters into it, I, I thoroughly love this book. And I hope that you've been blessed by the study as well, too. And it's always um, kind of bittersweet to end a book. It's always exciting to see where we're going to go next. But uh, we've got two more chapters here after today of Proverbs chapter 29. So with that being said, let's jump right into this. Proverbs 29, verse 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. This verse pops up a lot. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck. This pops up a lot because a lot of times I get phone calls from people in the community or somebody from here, church, not usually somebody that comes, but a friend of a friend of a friend, and can you talk to him, can you talk to her? So I do. And and this person who's not really active in church or with the Lord, they start saying, why do bad things always keep happening to me? Why does this always keep happening? Why am I always getting in trouble? Why is nothing ever works out? They always feel like they're consciously, verse 1, always being rebuked, and the heart becomes hard about it. A few years ago, I had a mom come up to me, and she was telling me I'm one of her daughters. And she was like, James, I'm constantly on her. That's all I do all day is just, is just discipline and correct and discipline and correct. And so I asked her, I said, she always doing something wrong? And she said, yeah. I said, well, that's why she's always being disciplined and corrected. If you're always doing something wrong, you're always going to get rebuked. And that's the way it is in life. It, it, to be quite honest, if, if bad choices keep happening again and again, and you keep saying, why, why is the world against me? Well, maybe because you're trying to fight upstream against God's plan for your life. And so what happens when you get rebuked? Your heart becomes hard. Now, the rest of the verses that deal with this, the first one we go to is verse 15. The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And jump ahead to verse 17 real quick. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give you delight to your soul. This is something I know for Dawn and I. We're in a stage of life right now with our kids that it feels like we're just in constant correction mode. Four boys, five and under. We're just constantly correcting things left and right. And especially with the third one, Kenan. Kenan is a handful, and we feel like we're just constantly on him. It seems like the reports of when I get home from church uh, after a day, it's like, okay, how many times did you have to discipline, Kenan? You know, it's just almost like this battle report there. But at the same time, too, that is our responsibility because if we don't carry that rule of discipline, look at the rest of verse 15. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. There has to be that discipline in order. And you know what? Sometimes it works. Uh, verse 17 really hit me this morning. Again, correct your son and he will give you rest. Sometimes it all comes together and it just clicks. Thursday, Dawn and I took some time and did some family stuff together and we had this uh, gift card to IHOP that we hadn't used. So we went to IHOP as a family. All six of us. And so we normally don't go out. I mean, our boys just think the greatest treat in the world is to go in to the restaurant because we live through the drive-thru because you you can't go in. you know, It just doesn't go good. So we've been practicing at home. Sit nicely. Hands at the table. We've been practicing. And so we said, okay, now we can go out to the restaurant because things are working. So we went to IHOP, and you know what happened? It went pretty good. It actually did. The one funny story that has nothing to do with the lust I need to share with you, Elias, who is was learning how to read, was looking through the menu, and he wanted to order his own food. So he said, okay, Elias, what would you like to order from the menu? And he wanted to order the jerkfish sandwich. I said, Elias, what's jerk fish? And it was junior fish. So he told the waitress he wanted jerk fish. So anyway, I guess you had to be there. I found it funny. Um, but anyway, I saw this verse 17. Correct your son, he will give you rest. It clicked. It clicked so good that as we're leaving, there was an older couple sitting beside us. They stopped on. And they said, we just want to commend you for how good your boys were. Now I thought, what a neat witnessing opportunity. And I said, forget this. I'm getting the boys and getting out of here before we screw this up. So (laughs) I'm I'm a big end on a high note type of guy. So boys, get your coat on. We're leaving. They thought we did good. We're just quitting while we're ahead. But the point is, You do finally see that rest. It finally comes together, Lord. It finally clicks. And I know there's going to be big ups and there's going to be big downs over the next few years. There's going to be successes and there's going to be failures. But sometimes it comes together and you're like, wow, Lord, this, this Bible thing does work. It does work when you follow these rules and you try to do verse 15. You try to do the rod and rebuke to give wisdom. You try to do verse 17 of correcting and you will see delight and rest. You know, we got in the van and we tell the boys, guys, when it goes good like this, it's a lot of fun to go out. It really is. And what a blessing that is. And it's not only for kids. It's that way in life. Things just go better when you're walking according to God's plan. Now, I know that's one of the most simplistic points in the world, but that's just the truth of it. That's just the truth of it. What happens in verse 1 when you get rebuked? One of two things happens. First one is you accept and you correct. That's maturity. Maturity is I accept and correct. I accept the fact that I was wrong. I I, I accept that rebuke by the Lord or by man. And I realize changes need to happen in my life. And so therefore maturity is accepting, correcting, and making changes. That's the way we're supposed to handle rebuke. Well, what's the other way? Well, the other way is verse 1 again. You harden your neck. You say, I don't care. And why do you harden your neck? Well, verse 23, pride. A man's pride will bring him low. Now, I know I'm not talking about anybody here, but do you guys know anybody who's too prideful to ever admit they're wrong? It's never their fault. It's always always somebody else's fault. It was always the, the background. It was always the upbringing. It was always, well, if she wouldn't have said this or if he wouldn't have said that. There's a pride there when it's never their fault. That is a heart that's ready for rebuking. That's a heart that's becoming hard because it's never their fault. Pride, verse 23, comes in and keeps him from accepting the fact that they're wrong. And why don't they listen to words? Look at verse 19. A servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. I know some people that would not accept words as a correction. They just won't. It it, it takes the tough, hard things of life to get their attention. That's a hard heart. You know how much easier it is to accept correction by words than it is by actions? It's so much easier when you sit and you say, okay, Lord, I I hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit telling me, don't, don't don't go down that path, don't say those words, don't respond in anger, don't do that. You're saving yourself from a a boatload of trouble. But yet when you refuse, verse 19, to be corrected by words, God loves you enough to take the next step. And, And you've heard me say this before, and it just blows my mind when somebody comes up and says, I know what you're saying is right. I know what I'm doing is wrong. And as we've said out here numerous times, what could you possibly say after that sentence that's going to defend your actions? If you know what we're saying is right, if you know what God is saying is right, why are we not listening? To reject that correction, the Bible says that makes your heart hard, that makes your neck hard, and that makes you, as the Bible says, a fool. To realize the path you are going down is going to cause heartache, heartache and pain and still not accept it. Verse 19, let's, let's have our hearts be soft <laughs> not to accept correction by mere words. Let, let's be open to the Spirit. Let's be open in devotion and prayer life and in worship and in teaching. Say, okay, Lord, these are the areas that need to be changed. Because if we're not open to that correction, God says it's going to get tough. It, it, it's going to get worse. We need to make wise choices. Look at verse 3. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. See, isn't this the whole point of Proverbs? Have you not heard here yet? After 29 chapters into the book of Proverbs, it's all about wisdom. Getting wisdom before there's an issue so you can make good godly choices before there's a problem. And when the problem arises, you have the wisdom to know what God would want you to do in that situation. That's the whole point of Proverbs, is wisdom to do the right thing. Verse 3, whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. Is your heavenly father rejoicing over the choices that you're making? Does he look down in here and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my kid. I'm proud of the way he or she is living the Christian life. God wants that. Because if you choose not to make wise choices, you're really setting yourself up for failure. Look at verse 6. By transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. And let's build on that. Remember that word snared and jump to verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. See, there's that snare thing. When you don't make wise choices, verse 3, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're going to get snared. You're going to get trapped. Sin traps us. I was thinking about that this week. Don and I used to go to Atlanta all the time. Loved going down there for vacation. And we went different ways. We drove down. We flew down. You know, We even priced one time taking the train down. Each time we went, I was like, let's just do something different. So one time we decided, let's take the Greyhound bus down. Now, that was, that was an experience, and it was, it was something we, I'm glad we did once, but I would never probably recommend it uh, again. It was interesting. Um, anyways, we were in Nashville. It was very early in the morning, and we were at Nashville, and we got ready to either change buses or do something, I don't remember, and two policemen came on the bus in Nashville, and they announced that they had drug-sniffing dogs. And they announced that they were going to have the dogs go through all the luggage, And they announced that these dogs would be sitting outside the bus. So as you came out the bus, they said, we can't search you. You know, we can't do that. But the drug-sniffing dogs are going to be there to kind of sniff around everything. Now, I have never seen so many people get worked up so quick, especially Dawn. It was kind of (laughs) disconcerting. I am not exaggerating. People started freaking out. People took their coats off, left their coats In the bus, they had luggage set aside that obviously did not pass the test. So when you came to get your luggage, there was a nice man with a gun waiting to talk to you a little bit. People left their luggage, did not get their luggage, and they just tried to get out as quick as they could. Why? Because it was a snare, verse 6. Their transgression, their sin, trapped them. Now, was I worried? No. I kind of wanted to see the police dog. I'm a dog guy, you know. I had I wasn't worried about it because there's nothing for me to be concerned about. I wasn't going to be trapped in that snare, that transgression. See, that's the thing. If you're doing things that you know aren't right, you live in this state and this fear of being trapped, of being ensnared. It goes back to that verse we talked about last week in Proverbs 28, how the wicked flee when no one pursues. Guilty conscience, conviction. So there's two types of snares. The first one is that trap of sin, verse 6, that we talked about. The next one's kind of interesting, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You know, Pastor Renee read that this morning. It's always neat when the Spirit works that out. You know, I didn't have Renee read that. That's the verse that the Lord laid on his heart to do there. The fear of man brings a snare. Now, a lot of you here today probably aren't going to fall under verse 6. I sure hope that you don't have these hidden sins that you're waiting to be found out about. But verse 25, the fear of man, does that trap you? Well, what's that mean? Fear of man. Do you live in a fear of what others think about you? Do you live in a fear of disappointing other people? Do you live in a fear of confrontation? Do you live in that fear of other people? See, I know a lot of godly, moral people that would not be caught in the snare of sin. But the snare of fear has them. I just want everybody to like me. Why can't we just all get along? Oh, I think I hurt that person's feelings. Oh, I'm so sorry about this. You live in that snare, that fear of what other people think about you. Where God says, wait a second, it's not what other people think about you, it's what I think about you. Turn if you go to Luke chapter 12. Let's build on this for a little bit. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going to go ahead and start here um, right around verse 4. Verse 4 of Luke chapter 12. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do to you. Now let's just stop there for a second. In, in the world we live in, in your life, in my life, life is the most important thing. So when you read verse 4, you're like, well, wait a second. I'm not supposed to be afraid of those that can take my life because God's saying, yeah, the only thing they can do is take your life. Okay, well, that's a pretty big thing. No, not in the whole scheme of eternity. Because your life, your, your physical life on this planet lasts for what? 70, 80, 90 years? I don't know. After that, it's done. God says they can take physical life, but what about eternal life? Verse 5, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the power, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten by God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than the many sparrows. God says, if I am not forgotten before God, the sparrows... Don't you think I'm taking care of you? He says, Fear me. See, now the problem is, we see that word fear, and we immediately start thinking of fear as in tremble. Be scared of God. Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But, how do you look at God? That's an interesting question I always ask somebody is how do you perceive God? See, because when I look at God, God is, according to the Bible, my best friend, He's my brother. He's my father, and in a very unique way, I'm his bride, the Bible says. Now, from that example, I'm not afraid of my siblings. I'm not afraid of my friends. I'm not afraid of my dad, and I don't tremble around dawn well, sometimes. But the point is, there's this idea of fear. See, the word fear does mean fear. It's actually, if you want to impress your friends and family, that's actually a Greek word that is phobia. That's where you get the word phobia, is a Greek word from fear. But if you go down the list of definitions in the Greek, the last definition of that word is reverence. God says, when he says, fear me, fear him, he's saying, revere me, which I like to translate in my own little words, have a healthy respect for who God is. See, when I'm around the Lord, I don't tremble out of fear, but I am in all of who he is. He's created the world. He's got this whole thing spinning. He, he, my very life is in his hands. That is why I sing Awesome God. It's amazing. So there is a reverence for who God is, there is a, a healthy respect for him being God. And that word in our English language is then translated fear. So God says, Who are you going to fear? Do you fear what man thinks of you? Do you fear man's opinions? Do you fear this idea of hurting others and failing others and what do they think of me? Or do you have a fear for me, a healthy respect that I am God? And God says, if you get me first, everything else falls into place. So if you struggle with verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare, God says, well, wait a second. Your life is not built on what others think of you. Your life is built on what I think of you. Do you have that reverence for the Lord and a respect for who he is. But our relationships we have with others affect us. Do you not realize how tough it is to live in this world? How tough it is to live in this world where sometimes we're hated for no reason. You know, I was thinking about this. We, we use this, this phrase a lot of, that God has a holy hatred for, for sin. It's a hatred, but it's such a pure hatred because it's something so evil. And I started thinking, what's the reverse of that? The reverse of that is a hellish hate. But what's it mean to have a hellish hate? Do you ever stop and think about this, for example? Why does the world hate the Jews? The world hates the Jews because God loves the Jews. I mean, isn't that just how simple it is? This group of people that live over in Israel is so hated by so many different groups of people in the world why? I think it's simply put because whatever God loves, Satan hates. So if God loves the Jews, Satan's going to hate them. You as the body of Christ, if you've accepted Christ here this morning, you're loved by the Lord. You are, you are God's chosen people, the Bible says, a, a holy generation. Do you realize as a Christian, the enemy now hates you? And since the world is under the sway of the enemy, the world is going to hate you? Do you not realize how much the world hates Christianity. They just hate the concept of Christianity. Look at verse 10. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. What's blameless mean? Blameless means that you have no faults. Teflon Christianity, nothing sticks to you. So therefore, if you are blameless in the Lord, the world is going to hate you. And why? What are you doing so wrong that the world hates you? Sometimes it's just your quiet stand for the Lord. Everybody else at work cusses you don't. Well, they hate you for that. Everybody else at work takes a 20-minute break. You take 15 because that's what you're supposed to do. Every other kid at school shirks on their homework. You do it right, so therefore the teacher likes you better, but yet you know you're doing what's right. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just trying to be a good person here to live my life purely in the Lord, in this world. Why do they hate me? They hate you because you are different and you are blameless and you are right in the eyes of God, so the world hates you. I don't know why as Christians we get so shocked when the world doesn't like us. Did Jesus not come out and say, they hated me, they will hate you? They crucified Christ. The world does not like us. And so, therefore, there is a hatred for who we are. Look at verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. See, we as the righteous hate the sin. Verse 27. And he was upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. The wicked hate the Christians. And we almost accept this, don't we? I mean, I say these words. You say these words. Well, he's not saved, he's not part of the club. You know, what do we expect? He's not a believer. He doesn't walk with Jesus. And so therefore, he's a lower class person. I find this fascinating. When Jesus said in the Gospels, they will know you're my disciples by your what? Love. Love is supposed to be the key element of what we are as Christians. That's what separates us from the world. If you'd go up to your typical non-believer and say, give me one word to describe Christianity, how many of them would say love? That's what Jesus said. You were supposed to be described by love. So therefore, as soon as you find out I'm a Christian, the next word you should think of is love. In fact, in 1 John, God says, you want to describe me? He says, God is love. In the world we live in today, how is Christianity described? Christianity is judgment. It's hellfire. People know what we stand against more than what we stand for. Now, I'm not saying don't take a stand on moral issues. I'm not saying that at all. But... If you look right here at verse 27, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. We take that sometimes pretty far, don't we? Of their sinners, heathens, etc., fill in the blank. And maybe I'm exaggerating here a little bit, but the truth of the matter is we do do that. God says you do got to be careful. He says in Corinthians, don't be unequally yoked. Now, a lot of times we take that verse to mean relationships and marriages, and I think that's a very good application believers should be with believers that just causes problems down the road and I'm going to tell you right now if you disagree with that come talk to me I've seen it too often but I think it also goes a couple steps further in life sometimes as christians we have to be careful of what we build business relationships with and other type of relationships if you mix in with the world there's going to be issues but the problem is sometimes we then go so many steps further that the unbelievers become the scourge of society and these lower class people. Now, we don't say those exact words, but in our subconscious we start getting very judgmental and we start thinking, isn't that where we just were? Isn't that what we just were doing? Is, is that, oh yeah, but I wasn't like them. Oh boy. Which takes us to the next topic here. How's this for a segue? Politics. Oh my! Someone said, "You know, in Proverbs, politics is mentioned a lot. And in fact, here in Proverbs 29, there's five verses that deal with politics. And and the reason I bring this up as a segue is because I think sometimes as Christians, we are so judgmental of the people that do not agree with our belief system, especially when it comes to politics. Here, look at verse two. Let's just start with a few verses on this. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice." But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Verse 4, the king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. These are what we call the compare-contrast verses. What God is saying is when you have a good person in a political position that is being led by the truth, that's a blessing. But when you have somebody in office where things aren't working out, it becomes a problem. Verse 12, if a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. That sin will trickle down from the top and affect everything. You know I'm a student of history. One of my favorite characters in history is Ulysses S. Grant. Great Civil War general, great man when it came to winning the war, and that was the man that was needed at that time. But as a lot of you know, Ulysses S. Grant became a president later on. Now, if you know anything about Ulysses S. Grant's presidency, it was not good in any way whatsoever. Argumentably, some of the most corrupt years in office that has ever been I look at verse 12 if a ruler pays attention to lies all his servants became wicked Ulysses S. Grant was the type of president that he was as a general as a general he was do whatever it takes to succeed, defeat the enemy and if you look at Ulysses S. Grant from a moral standpoint not really the type of leader you'd want as a president but if you wanted somebody to win a battle Ulysses S. Grant was the man to do it well the problem was he became a political leader he was still the same guy. And verse 12 happened. Paid attention to lies, and all of his servants become wicked. It was this trickle-down thing that happened. What are we supposed to do? Verse 14, the king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. So that's what you want is truth. And if you remember correctly, there's three truths in the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus is truth. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is truth. And the Bible says the word of God is truth. Imagine a leader that was led by Christ, led by the Spirit, following the dictates of the Bible. Now, that would be a pretty good leader. Now, don't you like the fact that when you see that verse once again, when you see that idea of verse 14, the king who judges the poor truth, his throne will be established forever? That's what we call dual fulfillment, because verse 14, that's going to happen when Christ rules. When Christ is the king, his throne will be established forever, and he will judge with truth. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Here's the problem. As people... As a society, we get too focused on the man of politics. Look at verse 26. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. What it really comes down to, guys, it's going to be God, not man. And if we have our emphasis too much on what man can do, we're going to be disappointed, we're going to be hurt. And how many times have we seen that, where somebody gets into office and we think, okay, this guy finally gets it. He, he is going to do it. He's going to bring it all together. And then we get disappointed and man, because we're seeking man instead of the Lord. Turn, if you will, to Titus chapter 3. You know, one of the things that we need to do as believers is have an understanding of what our role is when it comes to things. Titus chapter 3, please. If you want a little bit more info on this, I encourage you to look it up. You can go to Romans uh, chapter 13. You can go to 1 Peter 2. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, if you want to do a deeper study on this with the idea of government and Christianity. But I think Titus 3 is a a good place to just kind of go to here real quick. Titus 3. Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Let's stop right there. Titus 3 verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey to be ready for every good work. That's a good verse on government. You know one of the things that, you know, we try to do is make sure that, you know, you pray. You know Pastor Renee, you know prays, you know every Sunday there for our men and women serving the field. We pray for godly <coughs> wisdom for our nation. One of the things that's on the prayer request sheets if you grab it is that passage of praying for our leaders. We have that responsibility as Christians to do that. If you're not happy with how the direction of things are going, obviously you live in a nation where you have that freedom to to vote. You have that freedom to make your opinion known. You can write letters. You can do this. And I encourage you to get involved with those type of things to take a moral stand. There's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately the best thing that could happen is to pray. That's the best thing that you can do. See, the problem is we usually stop after verse 1. Okay, continuing this theme of politics, look at the first part of verse 2. To speak evil of no one. Oh, Christians, we're guilty of that when it comes to politics. Some of the meanest things I've ever heard are from believers talking about non believers in politics. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Okay, but James, you don't know their plan. You don't know what they want to do. You don't understand the thought process going into their mind. Look at verse 3. For we ourselves are also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now that does not doesn't that describe certain people in power right now. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts, pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful and hating one another. That's the way it is no matter who's in office, no matter what's going on. That's the thing. That's human nature. That's sin. And see, so often as Christians we get so worked up If they're non-believers, that's what non-believers do. We need to pray. Pray for salvation. Pray for hearts to be open. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So Christians, sometimes we get sinful on how we respond and how we react, and we jump into the flesh where God says no. Pray for truth. Pray for open hearts. Pray for just the Lord to open up the hearts of the people to truly seek godly wisdom when it comes to things. And once again, I don't care who's in office or who's not in office when it comes to that. That's just a good prayer request to pray. And we got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of the flesh to speak evil of no one. We're guilty of that a lot of times. We really are. So with that being said, it takes us to, argumentably, my favorite verse in all of Proverbs, Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. There's good verses in Proverbs. This one has to be in the top five for me, if not number one. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. That is a life-changing verse. Do you know somebody that has no filter between... Brain and mouth. They are a fool. They always have to be saying what they think. Anytime something pops up, their opinion comes out. They are a fool, according to the Bible. They vent all their feelings. They speak in emotion. They don't speak in godly common sense or maturity. Whatever is going on in that situation of life, it controls them, and they are just carried around by that emotion. That's a fool venting all their feelings. David wrote in Psalm 51, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Look here in verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Those people, they don't think. They say things they don't mean. They say it in the middle of emotion. Then they have to backtrack on it. And and they say things like that, and they push the envelope, and in anger and frustration, they say things. Don't speak words out of emotion. Speak words out of wisdom. That's an ongoing theme here in the book of Proverbs, 29 chapters into Proverbs. Wisdom is watching what you say, when you say it, and how you say it. And sometimes wisdom is saying nothing at all. If you vent all your feelings, you're asking for problems. Now, a lot of times I have people come in and say, well, I can't help myself. Boy, I disagree with that. What's the last fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Self-control. Well, you know what? When he does this, it just makes me so mad. When she says this, it just gets me so worked up. You've got to be the mature one. You've got to watch what you say. Too many times I see Christians run by emotion, and they're venting all their feelings. You need to hold those back. And you've heard me say before, a pet peeve of mine, hold them back in purity. I know people that hold them back, but they sure want to let you know they're still tick. I'm not going to say anything, because I'd be wrong. But this bothers me. Oh, Come on. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We've got to hold some of that back because what happens when you allow that anger to get the best of you, look at verse 8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away from wrath. Do you not know people that have the fire of anger? And, that, and that, those words, those hasty words are a fire. And those hasty words have had them lose jobs before. Those hasty words have had them uh, had relationships destroyed. Those hasty words have called physical pain. I know a guy that I was friends with that got so mad he punched the wall, busted up his hand, had to go have surgery, all because of lack of self-control with emotions. I heard a great teaching by Greg Laurie this week where he said how frustrating it is and how silly it is that and especially in marriage relationships, the yelling, the screaming, the throwing things, the slamming doors, the kicking stuff, because that's not maturity. That's not maturity in any way. And I tell you, I hear that type of stuff and I think, man, I'm so convicted on that type of stuff. Lord, help us in the middle of emotion to not allow emotions to get the best of us. Help us do verse 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Lord, I want to speak in wisdom. I want to not have those words control me. I don't want that emotion to control me. And you probably know people that no matter what you do, it doesn't work. Look at verse 9. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there's no peace. Do you not know some people that you just can't talk to? I mean, if you just talk to them, it just doesn't go good. God says, they're a fool. It goes back to verse 19. A servant will not be corrected by mere words. Lord, talk to their heart. They have to grow up, maturity-wise. And You know what? Just be honest. You've got to stop and ask yourself, are you, verse 22, an angry man stirs up strife? And a furious furious man abounds in transgression? I mean, think are, are you the one that always getting in trouble by what you say? Are you the one always starting a fire by what you say? Are you the one getting angry and throwing this and hitting this and yelling at this? The Bible says if you are, you're a fool. Because that's not maturity, that's not wisdom and watching what you say, that's not maturity and watching what you do. That's allowing emotions to control you, not Christ. That's not self control. Let's go ahead and finish up here in Proverbs. One quick, two more points here I want to say. The first one is one we hit on last week a little bit, verse 7. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. And build on that, verse 13. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. I shared with you that there's a couple out here at church that have a real neat uh, burden on their heart to uh, maybe get involved with this type of ministry, where we as a church could go help those people in need, a great opportunity to show the love of of the Lord and also to help meet their needs in life. And just keep that in prayer because that's something that we're uh, putting the foundation on and seeing where God goes with that. But that's God's heart to help meet those that are in need, and we want to make sure that we can do that. With that being said, speaking of praying and the vision of things, look at verse 18. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. I actually like the King James Version translation of this. Where there's no vision, the people perish, the Bible says. Where no vision, the people perish. Maybe you came out of a church where there really wasn't a vision of stuff. You just showed up. It was Sunday morning, you showed up, you did your thing, you went home. You know, what's the vision of what we do out here? The vision of what we do out here is right on the front of your bulletin. To see people saved. If you're not saved, we want to see you saved. If you are saved, we want to see you go deeper in the Lord. That's the vision of what we do. Everything we do revolves around that idea of either seeing people get saved in Christ or people that are saved, seeing them go deeper in the Lord. That's the vision of what we do. And, and if you look at, just take the next upcoming week, everything we do hopefully fits into that vision of that. Why are we having this SKG Pure Freedom on Saturday? Because we have a vision of a young girl's being pure in all areas of life? Why in a couple of weeks are we doing the heart-to-heart? Because we have a vision of marriages being stronger and enriched in the Lord. Why do we have men's Bible study on Saturday, ladies' Bible study on Friday, single ladies' study on Tuesday? There's a teen study because we have a vision of people growing in their walks with the Lord. Why is the Helping Hands meeting on Saturday? Because we also want to put fruit on this vision of showing God's love. We want tangible examples for you guys to be able to go out and show the love of the Lord. That's the vision of this. Now, how does that fit in with what you're doing? Well, you may say, I don't have a girl ages 8 to 18. I'm not married. Um, I'm not a guy. I'm not going to men's Bible study. I'm not a gal. I'm not going to ladies' Bible study. I don't sew. I'm not going to harvest helping hands. But you're part of the body of Christ. You may not have a girl ages 8 to 18, but could you take some time this week and pray for Saturday? Could you be part of that vision to pray for those girls who have their heart open to really know what purity is and modesty? You may not be married, but can you, can you pray for next Saturday that marriages will be blessed by that? You may not be a guy, but can you pray for Saturday morning men's Bible study when Jason leads that, that the Spirit would teach? You may not be a gal. Can you pray for the single lady study and the study on Friday that, Lord, bless them? There's a reason why we have announcements. There's a reason why we have the bulletin board. There's a reason why we put them up on the PowerPoint. There's a reason why Renee says this, and they're printed up in the bulletin. It's to give you an opportunity to, number one, get involved if you want to get involved. Because I believe church is so much more than just Sunday mornings at 10 or 8.30 or whenever you come. But it also has you be part of the body. Boy, if every one of you would just one time throughout the week just take the bulletin. Lord, bless the ladies' study on Friday. Lord, bless the men's study on Saturday. Open the heart. Lord, pure freedom's going on Saturday. Bless those gals. See, that means you see part of the vision. You see the vision of you wanting men to be better husbands and fathers and men. You see the vision of wanting gals to be better moms and ladies in the Lord. You see the vision of gals being pure in all areas of life. That's the vision. You may not be involved in those things directly, but we'd appreciate your prayer in those areas that you can incorporate that into your prayer life. And boy, just be a church that prays for each other and encourages each other. That's part of the vision of what we see, of wanting to see people go deeper in the Lord. What good does it do? to come on Sunday morning to live your life and not make a spiritual impact in anything you say. Why are we here then? We're here, just as we said in numerous messages recently, for the W's. We're here to witness for the Lord, and we're here to worship the Lord. That's what we're here to do. And we added another one on Wednesday night. We're here to work for the Lord. So maybe we'll add another W later on. So we're just going to keep adding them. We're here to worship, we're here to witness, and we're here to work for the Lord. That's why we're on this earth. Let's make a difference in what we do and say. That's the vision and keep that vision in prayer. That's Proverbs 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Lord, that's the vision of what we want. Pray for that. Martha, right, if you going to come forward here for the final song. A lot of different topics today. They all come back to wisdom.